0: Okay, good morning. But we're going to look at Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, um, chapter 5. I'm going to follow on from where we were a few weeks ago, two weeks ago I think, uh, when I was looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. At that point I read from verses 1 to 7, and um, we saw all about standing in awe of God. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by Um, An author. Some people think it's Solomon, others aren't sure, Um, but uh, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is looking at uh, the whole of life, really, and bringing um, wisdom, God's wisdom, into this. And uh, this is something that is very useful and helpful to us in life, as we live our lives. We can easily get sucked into the world's way of looking at things, and uh, the writer here is giving a very helpful critique of life as it is lived out. So we're going to read today um, verses 8 to 20, I think. Verses 8 to 20. So Ecclesiastes 5 verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, don't be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner, except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Or wealth lost through some misfortune. So that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs, and what does he gain, since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then... I realise that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness. Of Heart All right, we might refer to a few more verses later on as well, but that 's the main uh, passage that i 'm going to be looking at today in this, and um, as I say we 're following on from last time, wanting to get our perspective right last time we were looking at God and how awesome God is, and now we don 't just come to God lightly or casually, uh, but God is a fearsome God and someone to be. St- standing in awe of uh, and it's important to have that perspective as we come to this passage here looking at uh, I guess what I'll call the search for satisfaction um, that we the many people in fact all of us have the search for satisfaction in life um, uh, the writer here is looking mostly at money possessions food and drink let's see what he has to say about it he starts off, he makes some observations, doesn't he really? in uh, Starting out in verse 8, he says, Don't be surprised when you look at the world and you see corruption in the world. When you see greed, people who are poor being oppressed by those who are rich. You think, well, why is that happening? It shouldn't be happening, that's not fair. The writers say, Well, don't be surprised at that. People with money and people with power will always use that power to oppress others and to gain money from those who are poorer. It's not a surprising thing. He moves on to talk about money and he says, those who love money, people who love money, never have enough of it. Uh, in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Do you know, there's always that sense, isn't there? When, when people are searching after money, when people are saying, well, I, I just want to be rich, I just want to earn a, a, a million pounds, be a millionaire, that will set me up for life. When you see those people who've got a certain amount of money, they're not satisfied with it. You don't find anyone saying, I've made a million, that'll do me. I'm satisfied. No, they're always wanting to make the next million, or the next million, or the billion, or want to get more and more, always accumulating more and more money. Because they've got that feeling inside of them, that just sense that they've never got quite enough. A little bit more will just give them that security that they're craving after. Just help them to be happy. Because they're believing a lie. People who, who, who search after money and just want more and more money. They're believing the lie and are trapped by it really. That their money will bring them security and satisfaction. Um, they don't see it as a lie. They think that that's the way life is. And they just don't have enough. Once they get that little bit more, then they've got that security that they need he goes on as the writer and says you know as goods increase so do those who consume them and what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them if you're wealthy and you get a lot of money you'll also get a lot of hangers on you might get friends who hang on and say oh you know I'll, I'll hang around you I'll, I'll get some of the benefit of the money that you have got of the wealth that you've got and you'll gain a lot of financial advisors and accountants and lawyers or maybe agents if you're a, a singer or a, some, an actor or someone like that. People who are going to take a share of the wealth. He also points out that storing up many items won't do a lot of good. There's no... as goods increase, so do those who consume them. What benefit are they? You know, th- what's the point of storing up a lot of items, a lot of stuff, a lot of things... You just end up looking at them, you can't even use them. I think it was Imelda Marcos, who was the uh, wife of the president of the Philippines, who was famous for, for just collecting shoes. She had thousands of shoes. I think some people estimated it as, as 3,000. In fact, she got very offended once. She said, oh, I don't have 3,000 shoes. She says, I've got 1,060 pairs of shoes. <laughs> oh, that's okay then. <laughs> that's, It's quite frugal, really. Um, (laughs) She's got 1,060... She's claiming to have 1,060 pairs of shoes in her collection. What's she doing with them? She can't wear them all at once. She's only got two feet. 1,060 pairs of shoes at one pair a day. I mean, probably she wore more than one pair a day. But at a pair a day, it would take over three years to wear them all. And by then, she'll have bought some more. What is the point of collecting stuff, items, there's just no point. The writer goes on in verse 12, another observation on life. The sleep of the labourer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Some uh, translations talk about this in terms of food and uh, a man feeding himself up. But also, if you take it in terms of money, it says if you've got a lot of money and that's the aim in life, then you could be anxious about losing that money. You could lose sleep over it because you've got all this money. There was a story told about a man who was travelling in India on a train. And uh, he was quite a wealthy man and he would placed his case full of valuable jewels on the seat beside him. And so he's all the way on this journey. He's worrying about this case. Is it going to be safe? Is it going to be stolen? And uh, he struggled to stay awake. He thought, I can't fall asleep. I, I must stay awake, because if I, if I fall asleep, the jewels will be taken by someone else. And uh, he would find himself nodding off, and he'd no, I've got to wake myself up, I've got to wake myself up, these, these jewels are here. Eventually, he nodded off, and he woke up, and, uh, and, and discovered that uh, his case had indeed been stolen. And he said, oh, at last, I can get some sleep now. <laughs> If you've got wealth, an abundance of wealth, you're always going to be worried about losing it. You're always going to be looking at the financial pages in the newspaper. How's the stock market done today? How's my portfolio done? Oh no, Oh, I've lost another thousand, I've lost another ten thousand. Always anxious, always worrying. If you don't have it, you're not going to worry about it. You can work hard, eat. uh, The sleeper of a labourer, someone just works hard, eats a bit, sleeps well. If you've got this abundance of money and that's all you're concerned with, no sleep. Verse 13 onwards talks about a man, he calls it a grievous evil under the sun. A man who uh, who, who collects wealth, saves his wealth up, hoards it, keeps it all together. Um, Maybe to give to his his son or daughter, uh, pass it down. But then there's some misfortune and he loses it in a stroke. Maybe a, maybe a financial collapse, maybe some sort of disaster comes, but it all gets lost. Maybe a bad deal that he's done, and it's gone. And there's nothing to pass on. All that he's worked for, all that they've strived for, it's gone in an instant. You now, the Bible is so relevant to people today, isn't it? You can just, people say, oh, the Bible's not relevant today. Yes, it is. Look at our society today. Look at how people are just worried and anxious and trying to do their best so i'm going to get some money i want to pass it on to my children even people recently famous uh, jay goody doesn't didn't she before she died i want to get some wealth to pass it on to my children but it's not lasting it doesn't last it doesn't bring this satisfaction that it promises and that we believe the same lies And deceptions have taken hold from generation to generation. How many thousands of years since the writer wrote this? But the same truths still apply today. Naked a man, verse 15. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb. And as he goes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labour that he can carry in his hand. You can work all you like, all your life striving after money, striving after wealth, striving after something that's going to bring satisfaction, and and believing the same lie and giving it to your children. But on the day that you die, you will take nothing with you. It will end. And people spend their whole life dedicated to making and accumulating money. And the writer here says, it's a toiling for the wind. Verse 16 um, what does he gain since he toils for the wind? It's blown away. It's gone. So the answer to satisfaction, the search for satisfaction, the answer can't be find, found in wealth and accumulating stuff. So what is it found in? Do we go the other way? Is it found in poverty? In just saying, actually, we'll find satisfaction In poverty, uh, wealth is a lie. It's a deception. We need to be poor. We need to live a simple life. We need to live a frugal life. Do we go along with some of these anti-capitalist protesters who were in London this week? Or do we sell everything up and go and live in the country like um, that couple on The Good Life? What was it? Tom and Barbara. They sold everything up. They go go and and grow their own veg and have a, a goat or something. I don't know, a sheep. And that's it. The Good Life. Is that where you find satisfaction well our writer here um, points out that that isn't the case either he talks about this grievous evil Uh, he's worked hard and it says this man all his days this man who's lost all his money all his days he eats in darkness with great frustration affliction and anger everything's gone but he's not satisfied he's got this anger and frustration and affliction there in his life as well. Um, Poor people are not happy. Don't believe the lie that if you're poor, you're happy. There's many poor people, there's many people who are lacking things, and they're not happy at all. They're in desperate situations. Poverty doesn't bring the satisfaction that we search for either, that is so elusive. So where is the answer? Where do we find the answer to the search for satisfaction? If it's not seeking after money, it's not all the stuff that we've got, it's not uh, pursuing a life free from possessions, it's not in what we eat or in what we drink, it can't be in all of those things. Where do we find it? Well, we find it from verse 18 onwards. Let's read those verses again. Then I realised it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and find his satisfaction in his toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God's given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them and to accept his lot and be happy in his work, it's a gift from God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. You might be reading that and thinking, "Ah, that's a bit confusing. I don't get that. You're saying, where's the answer to the search for satisfaction? And And it's talking about, what's it talking about? It's talking about enjoying wealth and possessions. And finding satisfaction in the work that you do. Hang on. I thought we'd just said that wasn't where we find it. Isn't it the same thing? But well, look carefully. There is a difference. There's a word that is mentioned in those verses, I think, four times, that hasn't been mentioned at all up until now. And that word is God. It's in being content in God that we will find happiness and fulfillment. Life no longer has been described as being short and meaningless, but it's been described in terms of being enjoyable. Work as being something which can bring happiness and satisfaction. Things of life to be engaging, bringing about a gladness of heart. It's a complete turnaround of what we've already seen. And why is it a turnaround? Because our satisfaction is in God. It's linked in God. A life that is centred on God will result in a completely different perspective. Because we're not striving after things. We're not striving after wealth. We're not striving after good food. We're not striving after possessions. We're searching and longing for more of God. We're not worshipping the things that God has created. We've got our focus well and truly on the one who created us and made us for himself. Our search for satisfaction will end in God. But once we have found God, and once God has come into our lives, and we know what it is to know God, the things which God created for us will bring us pleasure too. All of these things, work, food, drink, possessions, they all take on a different perspective when we've got our focus right, because those things in and of themselves are not wrong. God created us, to work. God created us to eat and to drink and to enjoy life. God created us for pleasure. He gave us the desire to find pleasure in life. That desire in itself to have pleasure which we all have in ourselves. Each of us has this craving to find satisfaction and pleasure in life. That's not sinful in and of itself. What is sinful is where we look for that satisfaction. Where we look to find the answer to that. We don't pray, God, take away this desire for satisfaction. Take away for this desire for pleasure. It's, it's like, uh, it reminded me of, of um, once when we were praying... I heard of someone praying for someone to be healed. And this person had come and said, look, I've got really, really high blood pressure. I've got really high blood pressure, it's really affecting me. And so uh, the person praying said, oh Lord, I pray you take away this blood pressure... <laughs> No, don't pray that. (laughs) The blood pressure isn't wrong. We need the blood pressure. It's It's the high blood pressure that was the problem. We can think that our desire for happiness and satisfaction and pleasure is wrong. It's not. It's the place that we are looking for it is often wrong. When we sin, we sin when we don't find that pleasure and satisfaction in God. Because our desires lead us to seek it in other places. Sin promises. Sin promises pleasure. And in fact it might bring a short amount of pleasure. Fleeting pleasure. But as for lasting pleasure, lasting satisfaction, lasting happiness. It always leaves us wanting. Whatever the sin is. Whatever it is that we try and find it in, that will leave us feeling empty inside and feeling we need more. Where are we going to find more? That's all we know, to try and find it in the things that we, that we were searching for in the first place. Maybe this will do it. Maybe this gadget will bring the satisfaction I, I, I want. Maybe this mobile phone. Maybe this new TV. Maybe this uh, nice meal. Maybe this, uh, this amount of alcohol. Maybe this, whatever it might be, this car. We always think it's going to be the next thing. No, it's not. That will bring us fleeting pleasure. Always wanting us to go on to the next thing. God will bring us lasting pleasure. Lasting satisfaction. Never wanting to move on. Never wanting more than God. We were made to find our pleasure in God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 25 explains what happened. When sin came into the world. It talks about and uh, it? it says they exchanged the Romans one twenty five. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is ever to be praised. God created things, and He said they were good. Everything that God made was good. God didn't make anything that wasn't good. But when we make those things the object of our affection and the object of our lives, then they become warped and simple and we worship the created things. Some people struggle with this idea. Some people do struggle, some Christians struggle with the idea that the goal of our lives is to find pleasure in God. Our greatest satisfaction will come in God. And that's what we're looking for. And and their thinking kind of goes along these sort of lines. They think, well look, God has graciously saved us from our sin. We've understood that we're a sinner. We've understood that we need rescuing from this sin. This sin is leading us to destruction. We've focused on all of these things, all of these different ways to find satisfaction. It's all wrong. And, And God has rescued us from that. And God has saved us from that, but we need to stay as far away from all of those things as possible. And we need to kind of still feel bad about how we are, our sin, and and we need to think, how can we pay God back? How can we make it up to God? How can we repay him for all he's done for us? He's done amazing things for us. We must spend our lives, we'll dedicate our lives in diligent, dutiful service to God. That we can seek to give him back something towards what he's given to us. We'll never do it but we'll try and we'll do as good as we can. And we'll we'll do it by reading the Bible every day. We'll do it by denying ourselves and living a a very frugal lifestyle. We'll do it by um, staying away from anything which could be seen as worldly at all. And we'll live our lives in that day in prayer and fasting Yes, that's what it's about. We're giving it back to God. We're, we're dedicating ourselves to God like that. If we just have that perspective, and, and some of those things I've mentioned that are wrong, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, all great, necessary to, go, to know God more. But if we deny ourselves the other things that God has created us, the good things, food and drink and um, love and all these sort of things, then... We will be doing a disservice to God. We will be insulting God. I think I said last time, God said, you know, who who is God that he should be served by human hands? He doesn't need that. He doesn't need anything for us. He doesn't want us to try and pay something back that we could never pay back. We fail to understand the true grace of God. That not only has God saved us, he's adopted us into his family. And now we have a relationship with him where we can enjoy everything that he gives us. Myself and Debbie have adopted two children into our family in the last year. And uh, they have been in, before they came to us, they've been in a desperate and difficult situation. And they've been taken out of that and we have them now in our family. We have adopted them into our family. We've given them a new life. We love them. But how would it be if their whole life... Was now devoted to paying us back, to serving us for what we have given them in this new life. You know, we could, you know, you need to do the housework every day, you know, all of these things washing up, cleaning, hoovering, everything. You need to pay us back. Come on, guys, you've got a good life now. Be grateful. And their whole life is dedicated towards that. You know, just be satisfied with what you've got. You're not having any other good things, you know. You wouldn't do that. That's not what we've brought them into. We've brought them into a new life. Yeah, they've got chores to do, they've got to learn to take responsibility. But it's not about them trying to pay us back, it's not about them trying to earn what, we've, what they've been given. But our perspective on things changes. Now, yes, we work hard. But we work hard not for wealth, not because in work itself that's going to give us satisfaction and give, give us some sort of sense of achievement or sense of pride in it. We're working hard because that's what God's given us to do. And we're happy with what we have. We're not desperately seeking uh, more. We're happy with what God has given us and, and we find satisfaction in him. And whatever our work is, we can find satisfaction in that. However mundane. Paul talks in Ephesians chapter. 6 and also in colossians but we look at ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 he talks to slaves and he says slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you'd obey christ obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you but like slaves of christ doing the will of god from your heart serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the lord not men because you know the lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does whether he's slave or free. He's saying, work, serve, do what you're doing, work wholeheartedly, serve wholeheartedly. You'll find satisfaction in it because you're doing it for God. You're not doing it to impress other people. You're doing it for God. You'll receive your reward from it for God. Paul also says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, um, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He's learnt what it is to be content. He's learnt the secret of satisfaction. Where does it come from? It doesn't come in having a lot. It doesn't come in not having anything. It comes... In him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It comes from God. And we can be content in any situation. Whether we're rich, whether we're poor, whether we've got a job, whether we lose our job. Well, praise God and we'll have that contentment, we'll have that satisfaction. Hebrews in chapter 13 says a similar thing. The writer's exhorting um, the people who are reading this letter. And he says, keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Money comes, money goes. Sometimes you're wealthy, sometimes you're not. But God will never leave you and never forsake you. Therefore, you can be content with what you have you can have that eternal satisfaction. That's what the writer to Ecclesiastes is pointing out. We should learn to be content with our lot. Not in a resigned negative way. When he says um, in verse where is it? In verse 18, um, it's good for a man to find satisfaction under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. He's not saying that in a negative way. You know, we, we often say that, don't we? we say, oh, well, um, that's your lot. <laughs> You're not getting any more. Um, it's not like, no, you, you've been limited by God. Saying whatever God has given you, whether it's wealth or poverty, whether it's, good th- whether it's abundance or, or, or not, at a different time in life, that's your lot, that's what you've got. Then we can be content with that in a positive and grateful manner because our joy doesn't come from what we have it comes from knowing God knowing he's in charge he's our father he's going to look after us and he will bring us pleasure in life and God will give us good gifts to enjoy and he'll want us to enjoy them and he wants us to enjoy them with gratitude there'll be times when we get amazing things things that just bless us so much just think that's amazing how could we get that and God wants us to enjoy them if you go back to, to thinking about our children, they're in, in this loving relationship with us. And uh, as our, uh, with us as their parents, they will enjoy many pleasures in life. There'll be times spent together as a family that are fun, just enjoying each other's company, getting to know each other more. There'll be times when we take them away on nice holidays. There'll be times when we give them gifts, presents, material things because we love them we don't want them to start loving those things, they're not the aim isn't to love those things but they are an expression of our love to them, we're not just going to say well just be satisfied with what you've got we're not going to ever give you anything there'll be times when we say no you're not going to have that, you can't have that ice cream today actually just be satisfied with what you've got, that's your lot for today, but there'll be other times when we want to bless them and say here you are have this, have this treat Let's go to this, for this lovely meal together, or whatever it might be. We want to give them good gifts. And when we give them gifts, we want them to enjoy them. That's our desire. We don't want to see them looking miserable. Oh, I don't really they think I should enjoy this. I'm just satisfied with, with being in this family. No, we want them to enjoy them. And actually, we get satisfaction from seeing them enjoy them. That's the same with God. God gets satisfaction... From seeing us enjoy the gifts that he's given us. The material gifts that he's given us. God gets satisfaction from seeing us enjoy them in the right way. Without worshipping them, without focusing on them solely. That's what God wants. Let's not love God and then kind of go too far the other way when it comes to pleasure. And somehow see that 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 is wrong. That wealth and possessions and food and drink and sex and all the other good gifts that God has given us are intrinsically wrong and sinful. They aren't. We can understand that we've not got to seek after them and that's not going to be the object of our, of our desire, fall into the way of the world. But we can easily become, um, it's called ascetic, and, ju- and just say we don't want to enjoy any of these things at all. We pick up, uh, we, we've got this sort of guilt inside that it's wrong to enjoy a nice meal. It's wrong to have a nice drink. Um, uh, it's holier to have little. And we can get caught up in this. Now, I've met people who've got very little themselves. When we went out to India, um, we met a couple who had very little, a family, very little in their house at all. In fact, all we saw. Was, was really a, a couple of chairs, a table, and I think the kids had one toy to play with. I think it was a toy, a toy car that they had to play with. And, and we described them as the happiest people that we met in India while we were there. They were so joyful. One of the guys, I forget his name, but one of the guys was leading a, a church out there. They didn't have much. They did have a house. They had a roof over their head, but they didn't have a lot. But they were so joyful, so happy. They just exuded joy the whole time that we spent with them was wonderful. But it wasn't their poverty that made them happy. It wasn't that they didn't have anything and so yeah, we're happy now. It was God who made them happy. My observation is that it's, that's not the case with those people who feel it's more spiritual to have little the people who think, who are maybe ascetic and think, "Oh, it's, it's not good to have too much. We're not going. We'll, we'll live a frugal lifestyle. We'll live a very, very plain lifestyle. We're not going to enjoy, uh, you know, nice food. We'll just eat basic things all the time. Even though we can might be able to afford it, but we're not going to. We're not going to go too far." My observation is, those people aren't joyful at all. They're pretty miserable. <laughs> I don't know if you've been around Christians who, who are full of this joy, just full of this life full of just um, satisfaction in in, in who who they are and in their lives and in God. Um, I'm confident that if you think about those people, they may be rich, they may be poor, they may have possessions, they may not. But it will be people who've enjoyed their life in God and who are content and satisfied in God. And when we struggle to enjoy the things that God has given us, there can be a kind of spiritual misery that descends. Um, the writer to Ecclesiastes outlines it here in in chapter 6, we haven't read this yet chapter 6 he says I have seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavily on men God gives a man wealth, possessions and honour so he lacks nothing his heart desires but God doesn't enable them to enjoy them and a stranger enjoys them instead this is meaningless he calls it a grievous evil it's a grievous evil God has given someone wealth and possessions, but the man's not able to enjoy them. It's a grievous evil. The writer's saying, oh, God's given it you. It's yours to enjoy. You know, I don't think Christians are alone in, in this, but I think they're affected by this in the world. There's a bit of an element of society which, which probably is reacting to, to the excess that is, is definitely there in other people—the ugliness of excess and and striving after things—and uh, it kind of looks at things and it, and it's quite um, restrictive. It, maybe it looks at food and drink and says, "Oh, yeah, food. Oh, it's bad for you. Oh, you can't you can't go having butter in food. Oh, you don't want that. Oh, salt. You don't want to have salt in food. Oh, you mustn't drink alcohol. Oh, let's. Oh, we don't, don't want to have ca- uh, coffee or tea with caffeine in. Got to go for the decaf." Um, you know, everything is low fat or half fat. I get so frustrated going when I've gone shopping. Sometimes I go, Debbie, will say, Oh, can you buy some? Um, I don't know, creme fraiche or something?" And uh, I'll be like, "Oh, half fat creme fraiche, no fat. Where's the full fat stuff? You know, <laughs> like, give me the full fat." <laughs> it's like the food police are out and they're taking it all away, and and we, we can it can get hold of us. God has made things and he's made them good. We don't have to just be taking it all on board. We can easily equate it and and take it on board as though it's it's godly in some way to only drink drink decaffeinated coffee. I've got to be careful. (laughs) Some of you who know me (laughs) know that I could easily get started on this and I won't stop. You know what I think we can easily lose the whole joy of eating and drinking, which God has created for us to enjoy. It's supposed to be a good thing. um, Later on in Ecclesiastes, verse 15, the writer says, chapter 8, verse 15, um, the writer says, So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat, drink and be glad then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of his life God has given him under the sun that's where we get the phrase from eat, drink and be merry and that's what God wants for us to do he wants us to enjoy the good gifts that he has given us Jesus didn't shy away from celebrations Jesus didn't hide himself away when there was a party going on some people even accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard now that doesn't mean he was, he wasn't, clearly but he didn't shy away from parties he went to the wedding at Cana and when the wine ran out he didn't say, you shouldn't have drunk so much in the first place, should you? he made some more he wasn't a killjoy he didn't shy away from celebrations, let's look back in uh, in Deuteronomy as well, chapter fourteen, Deuteronomy chapter fourteen, it's fifth book in the Bible, and uh, it's talking about the tithe. We're going to read this from verse twenty-two, Deuteronomy fourteen, verse twenty-two. It's talking about the tithe. It says, be sure to set aside a tithe of all that your fields produce each year. Um, eat the tithe of your grain, uh, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks at the presence of the Lord your God, at the place where he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you learn to revere the Lord your God always. That's interesting, isn't it? Because the tithe is saying you set it aside and then you eat it. Hmm. And it goes on. If that place is too distant and that you've been blessed by the Lord and you can't carry your tithe, so if you've been really blessed and God's, you've got so much... And the place that God said is, is too distant. Um, then, obviously you can't carry all the grain and all the, all the, all the produce. Um, it says, then, exchange your tithe for silver. And take the silver with you and go to the place your Lord God will choose. Okay, you've got the silver. You've set aside a tenth of what you've got. You've, uh, here we are, here's the silver. What are you going to do with that silver? It doesn't just say, oh, give it away. It says, use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, the ESV says strong drink, or anything you wish, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And don't neglect the Levites living in your towns because they've got no allotment or inheritance of their own. And it says at the end of every three years, bring all of the tithes and store it in your towns so the Levites who have got nothing themselves and the aliens and the fathers and the widows, fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. What are you going to do in this, with this tithe? What are you going to do with the 10% that you've got to set away? You're going to have a big party. You're going to sell what you've got, maybe, if you, if you can't get to the party and carry all the stuff to it. You'll, you'll exchange it for some silver and you'll go. And what will you buy? You'll buy some good things to eat and you'll buy some, some drink. And you'll celebrate before God. And you won't neglect other people in that, so you'll realise that there's other people, so you'll, you'll get them in as well. That's what God wanted for his people. That's what, still what God wants for us. He wants us to celebrate says you buy whatever it is that your appetite craves. When we know God and we, find, we know what it is to find pleasure in God and then pleasure in all that is created, we will be the best people to be around. We will be the people everyone wants to be with. Because we will have this joy in us and we will know how to enjoy ourselves. We will know how to be happy in him. We will know how to gratefully accept all the gifts that God gives us. But we will still be generous to others. We won't just keep it to ourselves. It won't be about accumulating ourselves. We'll be liberal with it. We'll say, oh, here, you be blessed. You know, we will be the people who are the big tippers when we go to restaurants. People will think they'll want us to come because we'll have a great time and we'll tip generously. We will be the first to buy a round of drinks in the pub. We won't be thinking, oh, I don't know, I'm just going to say, count my money up, I'm not sure I can really afford it. We'll be the first there to, to do that. Because God has given us this joy and excitement of life. Not because that gives it in and of itself, but because we know we're going to get more pleasure from God. And that's going to attract others. It's going to attract others. They're going to see that this pleasure isn't from those things, it's from God. We run a ladies' night, we do a similar thing here at church every so often. We run a ladies' night where we we invite people in from all over uh, the north of Sheffield mainly, but other people as well, non-Christians, people who don't know God, and we show them what it is to have a good time. And we don't say you can't have alcohol. Uh, We give them a good meal. We give them some drink. But we're not aiming to get them drunk, and the aim for them shouldn't be, you know, that's not why they're coming. People flock to it because we have fun, because we have a great time, because we enjoy a lovely meal, because we have nice wine. Oh, they think it's nice anyway. (laughs) I wouldn't. Um, (laughs) Not keen on sweet white wine, but they love it. And so it's great. And people have said, This is such a funny... I've heard some of these women say... Do you know... I had such a great time tonight... And I'm not drunk... And you think, yeah... Because actually... Having a great time... Isn't about getting drunk... It's about enjoying yourself in God... And getting the perspective right... And we can model something... And see it... And show other people... Not only... Is there nothing wrong with enjoying a lovely steak... Or a good beer... Or a bottle of fine wine... Or an intimate time with your husband or wife... When God provides those things for us, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to enjoy them because it's part of the goodness of life he's created for us to enjoy. It's only when we seek after those things and worship those things as the main enjoyment of life that things become sinful and warped and wrong and our hearts get turned away. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Taste And see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is. It's almost like the Lord is good to eat. The Lord will give you satisfaction in life. The Lord is the one who will bring pleasure to life. And I said at the start, this needs to be in context of what we were looking at before in Ecclesiastes 5. At the start of Ecclesiastes 5, it's not just a casual thing. It should never become a casual thing. And we see that in this psalm, uh, where it's just said, taste and see that the Lord is good. The next verse says, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. They go hand in hand. We can taste and see that the Lord is good. We can find enjoyment in him, but it's never casual. It's never flippant. It's never like, oh, God's just this big um, sugar daddy or whatever it might be. God is God. We fear the Lord. That's why it's so important to see everything in context. Start of Ecclesiastes 5, it's all about standing in awe of God. But then later on in the chapter, enjoy the things that God has given you. We stand in awe of God, and we're not sloppy in our relationship with Him, but yet we enjoy life. There's a song that we sing about celebrating in the Lord. And it says in there, we are dancing on holy ground. So remember where we're dancing. We're dancing on holy ground. We fear the Lord, but we can celebrate. We can dance. We can enjoy ourselves. Having that right focus on God means that we can enjoy all that God gives us. And we're content with all God's given us, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. Let's not compartmentalise our lives into the, the spiritual side of our life and then the secular side of our life. And, and just think, oh, well, the things that we're going to do and eat and drink and enjoy ourselves, that's, that's kind of the secular part of our life. And we'll feel a little bit guilty about it and we'll keep God out of it. And then we'll come back to church on Sunday and we'll, and we'll, uh, we'll have a nice digested biscuit and we'll, um, and a cup of decaffeinated Earl Grey. And <laughs> we'll... <laughs> well and and that's our spiritual act of worship no (laughs) let's enjoy God we're living here on the earth we're not of this earth we're of the kingdom of God doesn't mean we miserably wait until the day we go to heaven doesn't mean we go to bed at half past nine every night with our holics God has made us to be a people who enjoy life to the full Psalm 37 and verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's where our true contentment will come and that's where our search for satisfaction will end.